0: Ever since I was a kid, I wanted a dog. But it wasn't until I was an adult, newly laid off and missing a beloved cat that had passed more than a year earlier, that my husband and I adopted a one-year-old mutt named Jack. Oh, Jack is a classic shade of brown, but a cartoonish mixture of a pit bull's head and muscly chest and some unknown breed's short little legs. Our best guess is Corky. Sometimes when he sneezes, his head loudly and hilariously knocks against the floor. In the six years we've had him, Jack has come with his share of challenges. He is an incorrigible stealer of tissues and loses his mind when the doorbell rings. But he is an expert cuddler and loves every single person he has ever met. He is silly and playful. Having Jack has helped us meet so many more of our neighbors, get much more regular exercise walking him rain or shine, and helped us teach our toddler about respecting the space and bodies of other beings. But it's also meant that I've wanted to learn more about Jack and the relationship we have with our dogs. This is Science Quickly. I'm Andrea Thompson, Scientific American's news editor for Earth and Environment, and sometimes fun animal science. Today, we're speaking with University of Maryland computer scientist and famed internet dog mom of a pack of golden retrievers, Jen Golbeck, about her new book, The Purest Bond, Understanding the Human-Canine Connection, written with science writer Stacy Colino. It delves into the science of how we humans relate to our puppy pals and the many ways they improve our lives. Hi, Jen. Thanks for speaking with us. Ah, so glad to be here. So one of my favorite moments in the book is when you describe how you cope with tough days and stress by lying on the floor and being enveloped, quote, in a cloud of golden retrievers with him licking and lying on top of you. And it sounds like heaven. And so jumping off from that, since the book is all about, you know, bond between people and their dogs. Can you talk a little bit about some of the bonds you've had with your own pups throughout your life and and what those bonds have meant to you?
1: Yeah. So we opened the book with middle school me, <laughs> and I I had a really hard time in middle school. I mean, I was bullied, everything in life sucked, and my parents bought me a golden retriever puppy. His name was Major, and he was everything I needed at that point, you know, non-judgmental. I didn't feel awkward around him and I loved dogs before that, but he, I think, was the first one who kind of opened my eyes to like the real power that that relationship can have. And so fast forward a bunch of time. Right now we have five dogs. We rescue special needs golden retrievers, seniors, hospice cases, like really complicated medical ones. And we get so much out of it. I can just lay on the floor and they all just like come and envelop me. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but the science tells, that's great for you. It brings down your blood pressure. It brings down your stress hormones. It just makes you more relaxed
0: and mindful and in the moment. I did want to get into the science some because I think that's a lot of what's really interesting in the book is that you get into all of these studies and really delve into the science of how we relate to our dogs and the impact they can have on us and vice versa. I don't think people always know the nitty gritty of that. And I wondered if you could particularly get into some of the physiological impacts that dogs have on us and and talk about the science there.
1: Yeah. If you look at any part of your life, whether it's your physical health, your mental, your psychological, your social health, your dogs are going to make all of that better. So. If we look, let's just say it physical health side, which is actually like how I got into the science of this. There was a great study that I saw maybe 15 years ago that talks about if you have a heart attack, for example, and you own a dog, you will live longer than if you don't have a dog. And mm-hmm. you could be like, well, yeah, if you dog, you're like, walk more. So of course, that would be why. But even if you control for the amount of walking, people who have dogs still live longer. Hmm. And so this was a real question, right? Why, if it isn't the physical activity, why is it that you live longer? And in fact, if you look across all of these different studies of the way that our physical health is improved by having dogs, one of the themes that emerges is something that we actually already knew from psychology, which is if you have a really robust system of social support, all of your health markers tend to be better. Like that social support is actually really critical for your physical health, not just your psychological health. And it turns out dogs are able to serve as those social support systems in our lives as well. So, if we look at, say, older adults who, you know, maybe they've lost their spouse and their social circles are just smaller, dealing with loneliness, if they have dogs, they see these really dramatic increases and in benefits from the dogs, where people who have you know, lots of people around them, really strong social systems, Those benefits are still there, but they're smaller. So it's really clear that the dogs serve as social supports for us and give us that benefit on top of the fact that they do, in fact, get us out and walking more. They get us out spending time outside, which we know is really good for us. So there's all these ways they kind of boost all of the stuff that we know is good for us and be like, hey, you've got to come do this thing. Like, we're going to have a good time and also it's going to make you better.
0: We've talked a lot about some of the specific areas of the science of dogs and humans and their bond. But of the dozens of studies that you guys mentioned in the book and you know, all of the research you guys did, were there any sort of favorite bits that stood out to you or anything that really surprised you?
1: Yeah. So one one favorite really stood out to me. And, and I will say that when I was in middle school, I had a science teacher who told us that dogs didn't really love us back and that like if they licked us, it's because we were salty and they just oh. wanted the salt. And, and I remember being so mad. But I also was 12. Right. So I had like no capacity to argue back with the science teacher, but now I do. Now I have written a book to avenge that memory from like <laughs> sixth grade or whatever. The science is so clear the dogs love us back. Like I think anybody who has a dog knows that's true. But my favorite result that we came across when we were doing the book is on that point. So we know from psychology about this thing called attachment bonds and mm-hmm. the attachment bonds that we form with our parents, especially our moms will go on to influence all of our relationships for the rest of our lives. They get set really early in our first couple of years. So if you've got a parent who's you know, responsive and gentle and kind, you're going to have secure attachment. If your needs are neglected, you might get a kind of anxious attachment. You know, you can sometimes change it, but it's really important. So there's a ton of research on attachment bonds. And one of the ways they've studied that is that they will put babies in fMRI machines, which are the things that show the part of your brain that light up when you're thinking about different stuff. And then they'll let them see their moms and a certain part of their brain lights up that doesn't light up for friends, you know, people who they're used to seeing or acquaintances. So we know that part of the brain is responsible for the attachment bond. That's where it manifests neurologically. So researchers have done this study with dogs. They trained dogs to lay really still in an fMRI, which is kind of amazing by itself. (laughs) And then they would have the dog's humans come up so they could see and smell the person. And the same part of the dog's brain lit up when they saw their human as happened in babies when they saw their mother. So what we know is like on a neurological level, dogs have that same kind of love response when they see us as babies have when they see their moms. And that's not the only study that shows we have this real like biological evidence that our dogs love us back. We can measure it in hormone levels. Like when we pet and interact with our dog, we all get this surge of oxytocin, this really good cuddle Love hormone, but the dogs get it too. So, yeah, that was my favorite evidence that we found. And I just love how it's this really classic science of love and connection that shows up perfectly with dogs.
0: So, you got at this a little bit in your answer, but are there any other misconceptions that maybe people have about dogs or how we relate to our dogs that any of the research you cite in your book got into or that you particularly want to dispel?
1: Yeah. One thing that I think is really important is that a lot of people still have this idea of the alpha dog, that there's like this hierarchy. And people will ask me this all the time. And I'm like, I have five little retrievers. And they're like, which one is the alpha? If I'm feeling kind, I will say I am. And if I'm not (laughs) feeling kind, I'll give them the lecture, which is that that science has been very thoroughly debunked. There were studies originally that were like, oh, there's this hierarchy. There's kind of aggression in there. Keep each other in line. But it was these really contrived studies of dogs in like these captive, unloving, environments where they were being studied in not a gentle way. right? And the side effect of that environment was that they ended up establishing this hierarchy to survive these kind of torturous situations. Dogs are very social creatures. They live in families. So if you think of a family, you know, so you've got maybe some parents, you've got some kids, like Is there an alpha there? I mean, there's maybe somebody who's a little more in charge and and they've got different personalities, but you're all kind of coexisting together. And that's really what dogs want, too. So if you try to adopt this kind of aggressive, like, I am the alpha, you will do what I say, whatever, pin them down, do all of this stuff. Sure. I mean, dogs are smart and they'll respond to that, but it's not their natural way of doing it. They want to have a, you know, respectful, gentle, caring relationship. You know, you've got to keep your dogs in line sometimes, right? Sometimes we <laughs> tell our dogs, no, you have to yell at them. It's not like, oh, don't no, ever say anything bad <laughs> to them. But you don't need to be this really dominating force. And I think a lot of people have that alpha idea left over. And the science is really clear that that's not the way that it works. Yeah, I think that's great
0: to get across to people. So to kind of wrap, I wanted to ask, uh, what do you want people who maybe already have a dog or thinking about getting a dog to really take away from the book?
1: We talked about making a PowerPoint to go with the book for people who are trying to convince their family members to get a dog and <laughs> just be like, here's all the ways, right? Like presentation time. So if you are thinking about getting the dog and you need evidence, that's all this book is. It's like evidence <laughs> that the dog's gonna be good and like pretty much any aspect you care about. But you know, I think probably our main audience is people who have dogs already. On one hand, I don't think there's anything in there that's gonna be earth shattering for them. I think what it's really going to be is recognizing a lot of your own experience. And then what you're going to find is here's all this really rigorous science that backs up your own experience. One of the takeaways that I've heard a lot of people say is that I just felt so validated because sometimes people treat us like we're a little crazy for loving dogs (laughs) as much as we do. Right. And this is going to give you all the scientific evidence that like you're not making it up. All of this is real. It's really profound. It has a great impact on you and you're going to feel validated and you hopefully find out some new things about just how deep that relationship goes. I could have
0: used that PowerPoint when I was a kid trying to convince my parents to get it again. <laughs> Maybe I'll still make it. I'll, I'll take some time and put it <laughs> up for kids. Science Quickly is produced by Jeff Delvisio and Talika Bose. Our show was edited by Ella Fetter and Alexa Lim. Our theme music was composed by Dominic Smith. Don't forget to subscribe to Science Quickly wherever you get your podcasts. For Science Quickly, I'm Andrea Thompson.